welcome to GTR Trade Insights. My name is Shannon Manders and I'm GTR's Editorial Director. Now, in this episode, I am speaking to Andre Cavallo, Head of Trade for Latin America, Treasury and Trade Solutions at Citi, and Eduardo or Lalo Alegre, who is the Director and Business Head of Trade Working Capital at Citi Banamex. So we're going to be talking about doing business in Mexico, a country which we know is a commodity producer and a manufacturing hub, and one which is poised for post-pandemic growth. Um, our conversation follows an article which is published in the GTR Q2 2022 issue. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Hi, hi, Shannon. Thanks for having us. Now, Andre, perhaps I can start with you. Um, as Mexico continues this recovery from the pandemic, which our article goes into detail of, um, what are some of the trade-related factors that are really cementing the country's status as a high-growth market? Yeah, sure. Thank you for for, for the question, Shannon. Um Well, it is extremely important for Latin America as a whole that Mexico continues its recovery from the pandemic, right? So being the second largest economy in Latin America, um, it is crucial to to, to Latin America that Mexico fully recovers. And the country continues to be absolutely on the right track. We've seen the vaccination efforts and everything else, the economy being fully reopened in, in many parts of the country. So that helps. Not only that, but also the fact that the U.S., its neighbor and its main trading partner, is also um, getting out of the woods in terms of the the pandemic. We've seen uh, economic accelerated economic growth in the U.S. economy as well, which is also good news for Mexico. Right. Uh, So in that sense, the fact that both Mexico, the U.S. uh, and other developed countries are coming out of the pandemic uh, is really good news for Mexico and its economy because Mexico needs the larger economies to to grow so that Mexico economy grows as well. And one thing that is extremely important in the post-pandemic world for Mexico specifically is that after all the global supply chain disruptions that all the countries, all the economies and, and all the companies experienced during the pandemic, one thing that became a very top um, subject for all the companies and all across all industries is what we call the near shoring right so if before a market like the us could be importing goods from from many countries in asia in europe in south america and also from mexico obviously um, now with with all the global supply chain disruptions that, that the countries have experienced several companies are, are really going towards the the near shoring efforts that is to have the plants or the manufacturing hubs closer to the end markets, to the consumer market, right? So that means to the U.S. that having Mexico as a manufacturing hub is critical and can avoid future disruptions in a scenario where a pandemic could kick in again, right? Uh, In that sense, uh, with a lot of companies moving investments away from Southeast Asia countries or even uh, some countries in Europe moving to Mexico, that is very good news to, to, to Mexican companies and to, to the Mexico economy, right? So the subsidiaries of multinational companies are increasing activity in Mexico. We've seen an acceleration of, of the trade business in Mexico, not only cross-border business, but also extremely strong local domestic flows business in Mexico. 
and another thing that played a very important role uh, in that sense is that with Mexico uh, finally signing the trade agreement with the U.S., the, the revamped trade agreement with the U.S., uh, one important chapter that is intellectual property, there was a, a, a topic for discussion for decades between Mexico and the U.S., now has finally been agreed, agreed between the two, the two countries. And what that means is that if prior to the pandemic or in prior years, the U.S. always tried to be careful when manufacturing goods or technologies in Mexico because of intellectual property concerns, now that intellectual property is properly protected and the U.S. and many other multinational companies, European companies also feel a lot more secure and safe on having those, those intellectual property products being built out of Mexico, that means that Mexico is, will continue to be a manufacturer of more commodity goods, but also is likely to become a hub for more sophisticated uh, IP property goods. Yeah, thanks, Andre. That's really interesting. And certainly a whole host of opportunities, as you've outlined. Um, another opportunity um, perhaps on the horizon is related to ESG um, and our Q2 issue focuses on ESG in trade. Um, Lalo, coming to you, we've seen that Mexico is increasingly aligning with social and environmental considerations, as is happening elsewhere in the world. How are you seeing this play out in terms of what the government is doing, as well as how uh, public and private sector firms are reacting? Basically, in Mexico, over, over, over the last years, no, there has been a, a continuous interest, not only by the government, but also by private entities banks and, and many financial players in the market to, 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 to roll out a series of environmental policies. No? As a fact, no, it is a, a signatory of the Paris Agreement, was one of the first countries in Mex Mexico in the world to pass a specific law on climate change. The government is, is really trying to push, to push the social and the environmental agenda. No? Both, both in terms of, of, of its own spending efforts, as well as the engagement of the wider business environment, which is helping to increase awareness of environmental, social, and, and corporate governance, no? what is, is called ESG. In, in 2020, for example, no, the Mexican stock market and the, and the S&P introduced a new ESG index. Uh, the interest has, has been growing during the last years, and, and, and now, no, those public companies with the specific ESG criteria and policies are now being disclosed in the in the in the annual reports of the of, of the of these entities, and evidently the, the interest has been growing. In fact, there are specific investors now globally uh, for those companies issuing debt in the international markets. That, that really provide a, a, a really great value to, to all entities that, that have an ESG agenda and, and specific policies and criteria. No? So the, and those investors evidently provide a preference and priority to this kind of, of, of transactions. So, so, so evidently this trend is, is on the right track and Mexico companies, both the governmental and private, no? Has shown a, a full commitment, no, an alignment with ESG, no, including social pressures, the scarcity of natural resources, and the pressures of climate change. Thanks, Lalo. It's great to see that um, progress is indeed being made. 
Um, Andre, coming to you, keeping in mind what Lala has outlined, what are some of the challenges then of, um, you know, in the ESG space in Mexico? Yes, sure. So obviously ESG being a critical matter now for, for Mexico and many other economies across Latin America, um, it's, it's not an easy challenge for companies, right? So if you go, not only in the case of Mexico, but um, um, across the region, we see the economies is still um, not heavily based, but still somehow based in, 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 in types of energy and sources of energy that are not uh, eco-friendly, let's say, are not the, the greenest ones. So this is one thing that the companies, the industries in Mexico, they have been working. Uh, another thing is that labor laws, uh, historically, and, and labor practices across Latin America and Mexico is no different. Is also that is, is a topic of concern because companies, when, whenever getting the ESG stamp or approach, it's not only about the company itself and its goods, it's about its, its, its suppliers, the suppliers of the suppliers, how everything down the chain is produced, right? So in terms of uses of energy, in terms of labor laws, in terms of social responsibility, the communities and everything else. So that's, that's a big effort, right, uh, to make it happen especially in, 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 in developing countries. And again, not only the case of Mexico, but uh, I would say that those are the, mainly the, the challenges that any company now uh, looking for the ESG certification in Mexico or in LATAM, they have to be very mindful when, when, when working in Mexico. Yeah, exactly. And I, as you say, um, challenges that are not unique uh, to Mexico. Um, yeah. And then finally, coming back to you, Lalo, how has this growing focus on ESG impacted the bank support in the country? You know, what have been some of the standout ways that the bank is driving the social and or environmental agenda in Mexico? Most of the largest the financial providers in Mexico has been starting you now since, since, since one or two years ago to incorporate all ESG factors into their into their lending and risk evaluation models no uh, we have been working no in, in city Manamex with, with our risk partners to ensure we adopt ESG trends in in, in, in all the risk criteria and and, and and approvals no and and I will say also that 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 much of the banks focus today is, is in the social element no of ESG particularly on securing access to financing and financial education for Mexico's small and medium enter enterprises, SMEs, or, or what is called in Mexico PYMES, no? in Spanish, according to the OECD. In, in 20, 2018, the average interest rate for large company was approximately uh, close to 12%, while for SMEs, it was 17%. No? So although the government in recent years has developed no, it's the specific initiatives to support entrepreneurs and strengthen access to financial for SMEs, that their needs are still not full cover, no, but by, by, by most of the financial players. The, the fact of, of helping SMEs to have a better understanding of, of their financing elements in, in, a, in, in a company like the balance sheet, the cash conversion cycle, how, how, how the raw materials need to be incorporated, how, how to manage the payables, the receivables, and how to, to to try to enhance you know, the creation of value and the cash, the liquidity, not only in the good days, no, but also 
in rainy days so they can keep este, surviving a, a, a constant complex world. No? So, so, so City Banamex specifically created a, 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 a training program for our SMEs clients, no? teaching them how, how some financial tools and, and at least at the basic level so, so, so they can have a much more understanding and, and, and can adopt most of these este, practices in the day-to-day business operation. No? If I may add, I'm sorry, Shannon, on that because that was really a critical point for us. It's something that we at City Banamex we are very proud of, right? So especially when it comes to supply chain financing, as Lalo described, uh, at some up until a few years ago, we were always happy to say that we could provide uh, cheaper, accessible financing for smaller companies that they wouldn't have access to if there wasn't for if there weren't for our supply chain finance programs, right? So now the goal is to go one step further and to make sure that not only they have access to funding and to financing that they wouldn't have if it wasn't for the supply chain finance programs that our clients put in place in partnership with us, but also that we educate them. We give them the financial education to make sure that they make the best use of that financing that they are getting, right? So to make sure that 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 has a domino effect uh, down the chain, the financial education, the knowledge, the expertise, that is going to be spread out in the SME space that is extremely important to the country, as, as Lalo was just describing, right? So that was, for us, a really critical initiative that was extremely well received by, by both the, the SMEs, the, the suppliers and the distributors from our clients, but also from our clients because they are seeing that we are really going one step further on, on, on helping them to make sure that their, their supply and their distribution chains uh, are very well prepared for, for good and rainy days. Okay. Thanks, Andre, and thanks, Lalo. It's been fantastic to get such a um, interesting overview of what's happening on the ground in Mexico. Um, and I do encourage our listeners to go ahead and read the story in the Q2 issue, which touches on this and other issues related to doing business in Mexico. Um, thank you, Andre and Lalo. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today and working with you on the piece. Mm-hmm.